0: Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith, and I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, this morning we're going to be in uh, Acts chapter number twenty. Is where we're going to start. Acts chapter number twenty. And uh, we're going to read a verse from there. Of course, this uh, month, looking at, as I said last week, the The holiday time, especially Thanksgiving and Christmas, is known as the season of giving. We look at this season and uh, oftentimes are looking to uh, what are we going to give to other people for Christmas and uh, how are we going to serve one another at these holidays in our families and in our uh, communities and in our church and uh, oftentimes even, uh, as I said just a moment ago, the unbelieving world thinking toward these things and how, what they're going to give and how they're going to... Uh, to be a blessing to and and uh, and serve other people, and so uh, last week we started the series for just this month. It'll just be a four week series, but uh, entitled "Don't Talk About Money," and really, it's where we're going to unpack the idea of where what God says about our money, about our finances, really about all of our resources, but specifically uh, as we look to often when we're thinking of giving, we look to this uh, aspect of our finances and uh, what does the Bible say specifically about our service to other people and to God through the act of giving and, uh, and talking a little bit about our finances in that way. And um, what you'll notice uh, next week, we're going to dive a little bit into on, a, a lot of times when we talk about the the uh, topic of giving or the topic of money, the first thing our minds jump to is, okay, how much? Like, that's where we jump to. How much do I have to give? How much do I not have to give? How much am I supposed to be a part of this and a part of that? And we we think in terms of uh, of uh, amounts, but what we're going to see really, uh, especially last week as we talked about the mindsets that we have toward the resources that we've been given and then this week specifically as we talk even a little bit deeper on the heart behind uh, our service and our giving uh, is that the Bible doesn't it it does a little bit we're going to talk about it next week okay next week is where we're going to talk about if you're wondering how much That's next week's conversation, all right? We're going to dive in. Does the Bible actually tell us to tithe, give a 10%? Is that just for the Old Testament? Is that just for us today? And the long and short answer of of it is kinda and no, okay? So be here next week uh, for for how much we give, if that's what you're interested in talking about. But really what we're going to find is that Scripture talks more so about the ways in which we give and the why we give more than it ever talks about the how much we give. Um, And and I I believe the purpose for that is that if we really have the right mindset and the right heart behind our giving, then the amount, no matter how big or low it is, is going to be a blessing in the eyes of the Lord. I think of, uh, and and this is all just introductory, okay, so just stay there in Acts chapter 20. We're, We're gonna be there in just a moment. I think of the widow that Jesus saw people giving uh, into the offering box there in the temple, and he sees this widow who just throws in two mites, which was literally nothing uh, in in the grand scheme of things. And Jesus, though, looking at her giving, said she gave more than every other person. And and part of it was an indictment on the Pharisees because the Pharisees had... uh, He said they had devoured widow's houses and they had done all of these things and it made it to where this woman had nothing but two mites and yet though they had done that to her and that's all she had, it's all she had but it's all she gave. She gave all that she had and so God looking at the heart of this woman compared to all these people who gave lavish gifts but did it with no heart and the right mindset behind those gifts, it was more of a blessing to our savior here on this earth to see that woman give the two mites than all the the rest of the people who gave all kinds of money. And so when we look at this, we're going to see often, there's an overlap in every message of this theme. Do we have the right heart? Do we have the right mindset about what we've been given and about why we're giving it when we give it? Okay, so are you there in Acts chapter number 20? We're going to read just one verse. Uh, We'll give a little bit of context to it and dive into some of the aspects of uh, what the Bible talks about in this specific uh, vain, but Acts chapter number 20 and verse 35. Verse 35, this is Paul speaking. He's speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus, and he says this I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And so this morning, our uh title of the message is simply just this more blessed i added a hashtag to it so hashtag more blessed Uh, but more blessed is the title of this morning's message heavenly father lord as we dive into your word and as we look at this subject lord would you open up our hearts and would you help us lord to see what you have in your word for us would you guide and direct our steps as we take steps of faith to obey what you say in your word in this subject and lord i pray truly that you would help each and every one of us here in a way that I cannot do on my own through my own words. Lord, would you use your word and your Holy Spirit's power to direct and guide each and every one of us in the way that we ought to obey you this uh, this day, Lord, this week, and specifically in this area of our lives. And we pray that you would do that work in and through us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I, um, I love receiving gifts. I don't know if you're like me that you love receiving gifts. Some of you, maybe your, uh, your love language is gifts. If you know anything about the five love languages, one of them is gifts. And maybe that's you. If that's the case, you love getting gifts too. It's not one of my primary uh, love languages, so to say. But I think all of us, to some extent, we love getting gifts. And for me, unexpected gifts are the best kind of gifts. Um, gifts that I didn't know were coming or I didn't even know that I wanted that thing and someone got it for me. That's the best kind of gifts to me is when I receive those types of things and uh, I can remember growing up Christmases where uh, I wanted something specific but I didn't think I was going to get it because I knew kind of the financial state are uh, family was in at the time, and then somehow the Lord provided either to my parents or through another person to give me that thing for Christmas, and how elated I was to open that gift and receive it, and uh, I remember one year uh, in ministry, I really needed an iPad, and there was no way we were going to uh, to be, I was going to be able to just purchase one on my own, and uh, Rebecca Ended up uh, getting me an iPad for Christmas that year with some of the money that she had been saving up from piano lessons. And, uh, and then I remember uh, another Christmas that some, some of you saw on Halloween, I got to dress up in my Batman suit. That was awesome, okay? When I got that, I didn't know it was coming. Um, but Rebecca and her family had put together money uh, one of our friends we knew had the suit, and I always envied him for having the suit. and uh, And so they went out of their way to buy it, and it was completely unexpected. And I remember receiving that gift and uh, loving that. and uh, And I think all of us, to some extent, like to get gifts. I know one of my wife's primary love languages is gifts, and so uh, I I have to think long and hard sometimes on what I'm going to give her. and And Sadly for her, okay, is uh, I'm not always the best at giving gifts. That's one of her primary love languages, so I got to work hard for at it. But it's not one of her or one of my best areas necessarily, unless I really think long and hard about what I'm going to get someone. So I won't go into too many details on some of the awful gifts that I've given her. Uh, One I'll tell you was I bought her a crock pot. When we, we weren't even married yet. We were just dating, okay? And I bought her a crock pot. Now, she asked for a crock pot, okay? Uh, but I, rookie mistake, okay? And if, if, rookie mistake, I didn't realize that she didn't just want a crock pot. She wanted other things as well. Also, and maybe this gives a little bit of context to how bad sometimes I can be at giving gifts. That wasn't a Christmas present. That wasn't a birthday present. It wasn't even a spontaneous gift, that was a Valentine's Day gift that, uh, that I gave her that crockpot. And we were only dating, and somehow she stuck with me, and we're married and have four beautiful children. I love it. Uh, that just goes to show, honestly, the patience that she has with me, though uh, her primary, one of her primary love languages is gifts. But because I know that, and because I'm not necessarily great at giving gifts, the times that I know I hit the jackpot, oh, man, I'm excited to see them open that gift. Uh, when I've put thought and, and time and uh, savings or whatever I can into a gift that I know someone is going to love um, or that is unique, I know that not many people know that this gift even exists. Uh, one of my friends at, at the church in Moses Lake, he eats cereal like 24-7, and he still weighs like 100 pounds. I don't know how he does it, but he, uh, he eats cereal like all day long, and he would constantly talk about how, um, how cereal gets soggy really quickly and I found this thing that no one had heard about called the Crunch Cup that has cereal in one part of the cup and milk in the other part of the cup and you just go like this and cereal comes out crunchy and milk comes out at the same time and you just eat and he loved it. I was so excited to see him open the gift because it was just unique and, and I knew he loved stuff like that and uh, same with my kids and with my wife. When I know I hit the jackpot, there's so much like anticipation and, uh, and joy just to get ready to see them open the gift. And I think all of us uh, pr- have probably felt that at, at some time. There's something there. I think the Bible is on to something when it says that it's more blessed to give than to receive because all of us pr- uh, know uh, that that feeling of I know they're gonna love this, and I'm ready to see the joy on their face, and it brings joy to our face. Oftentimes, before they we even see the joy on their face, because of the anticipation of giving them that gift, and uh, and so I think Jesus is on to something when he said that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, just uh, just for fun, pop quiz. Some of you were in our Acts series. You might remember the answer to this. When did Jesus say this? When did he say it's more blessed to give than receive? Anybody know? Good, because we don't know. <laughs> so you're like, no, I don't know. No, we don't know. Uh, there's no ac- account of it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John of him saying this. The only account that we have of Jesus saying these words is Paul here saying, you guys know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said it's more blessed to give than receive. Now we have in John I think it's the last chapter in John where John says he did way more things and said way more things than I could even write down. And if I tried to write it all down, even all the books in this world could not contain uh, all that would be written. And so uh, we have John saying that, and then we have later on Paul saying that Jesus said this. So at some point, there's this oral tradition of the apostles most likely telling people, Jesus once said it's more blessed to give than receive. As they're teaching uh, people this this concept, and then we see Paul uh, here speaking it again. But the thing is, Jesus didn't only say this. The Bible doesn't only tell us that Jesus said this. We see constantly that Jesus lived that. Jesus' life was characterized way more by what he gave than by what he receives from us or that he received in the moment of what he gave. Uh, I mean, you look at the, the pinnacle of what Jesus' Jesus's life is thought to be every single one of us would look to the cross. When he gave himself, he gave up his own life and he shed his own blood freely for our sins to be forgiven and for us to have a way to spend eternal life with him in heaven. We would all think of that very characterized, uh, that, uh, that momentous, really, occasion of characterizing his life as a life of service and a life of giving His life was way more characterized by what he gave and what he gives than by what he receives. But I think Paul, the one who's reiterating Jesus' words here, also was a life that we see characterized by giving more than he received. Even in the very chapter that Paul speaks this, uh, Paul is giving of himself giving words of wisdom to the elders of the church of Ephesus if you look back in the previous chapter and the whole chapter preceding this verse verse 35 Paul is giving of his time Paul is giving of his efforts Paul is giving of uh, of the word of God he's giving in all these ways and if you study out the context of it he's receiving an offering by all of the churches, Philippi and Macedonia, all the churches in Macedonia and Troas, which he uh, preaches at in chapter number 20, he's receiving an offering not for himself, But he's teaching these people it's more blessed to give than receive and there's a church in need in Jerusalem. There's persecution. There's all of these things taking place and we need to give toward the other saints in Jerusalem. And he's teaching it's more blessed to give than receive and he's uh, exemplifying it's more blessed to give than receive. And as a result, you see churches giving to the work of the church at Jerusalem, the other saints that needed this help. And so... We see all of this and it it really just brings us down to ask ourselves then, okay, is my life characterized more by giving or more by receiving? Uh, Is the sum total of our life a life of generosity or is it a life of accumulation, of receiving, of hoarding, of selfish spendings uh, uh, in our life? Are those the things that characterize? Characterize us, or would it be more so a life of giving? And if you were with us in our study in the Sermon on the Mount, we know that this word blessed doesn't just mean blessings, that those who give will have blessings in their life, but the word blessed there actually is the word that uh, means happiness and true joy. And so, are we living a life that is characterized by giving and experiencing as a result true joy and happiness? That's the question we ask ourselves. And I would ask us when we hear a statement like, it's more blessed to give than to receive, I would ask, do you believe that? I, I mean, do you believe that it's more blessed to give than receive? I think all of us in here would say, yeah, I believe that. God said it, I believe it. Okay, then the next question would be this. Does your life and do your actions match up with a belief that it's more blessed to give than to receive? Like, I believe it's more blessed to give than to receive because Jesus said it. Okay, now evaluate my life. Do I live a life that is characterized more by giving or by receiving? Do our lips say we believe it, but our actions say otherwise? And as we go through scripture in today's message, I want us to be able to evaluate ourselves in this area Does my life show that I believe it is more blessed to give, or do I live in a way that says it's more blessed to receive? And may we realign our hearts with God to live a life that, as he says, is more blessed, to live a life that is truly more blessed. And so I want to dive into three areas of our giving uh, that help us see what the Bible talks about uh, the, that is the heart, really, especially behind our giving and living a life that is more blessed, a life of generosity. So let's look, first of all, this morning, let's look at the motives of our giving. The motives of our giving. See, because the motives of our giving are what set us apart as, generous, as a generous people. Uh, there are generous people in this world that do not believe in Christ. We know this, right? There are people in this world, they have no belief in Christ, and yet because of the amount of resources they have, some of them maybe might be motivated by tax uh, breaks and things like that in their generosity. But uh, for what sets us apart as a generous people from the unbelieving world of people that might be also generous is the motive behind our generosity. And the motive behind our generosity is, and the motive behind our giving finds its root in the generosity of God towards his people. Uh, we We are so overwhelmed with the giving of the Lord to us that then giving flows out of us. That's the motive that then allows us to give in our own lives. This is the pattern of the Christian life in all areas of life. We are given love by God and in humble recognition of the fact that we do not deserve his love. We reciprocate that love back to him and it flows out of us to other people. I think of the verse... We love him, why? Because he first loved us. That's the Christian life. He initiates and we respond in all of these different areas. And in turn, we learn to love what he loves, which is people, and then we uh, flow love of the love of God out of us toward others. But sometimes, I think in all aspects, we forget how much the Lord actually abounds to our account. Uh, I, I think of Romans chapter number 5 and verse 20 when it says that where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now, when you read that verse, that verse should smack us in the face with God's abundant nature. You will, you will never out the cross of God. You will never out the grace of God the volume of God's grace will always be bigger than the volume of your own sinfulness, of all of our sinfulness. Uh, e- even the, uh, and if, you, if you're like me, you understand that's a lot of sinfulness, <laughs> okay? Even the apostle Paul, I think of, uh, saw himself as the chiefest of sinners and yet he's the one here writing, but as chief of a sinner as I am, God's grace is far above even that, I'm the foremost, I'm, I'm the forerunner of all sinners, is really what he said. And he said, and even over my sin, grace abounds much more. And so even the Apostle Paul sees God's grace even bigger than his own sin. One, one man named John Newton, he was the, uh, he, he's known for saying this, that at the end of his life, though my memory is fading, he says, these two things I remember, I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Uh, we, we sing the song, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. What's the last line of that chorus? Grace that is greater than all of our sin. We, we consistently are reminded through scripture and through songs and through quotes that God gives grace freely far above the amount of sinfulness we have or ever commit in our lifetimes. The Bible, it calls God our good father who gives good gifts. When we studied the Sermon on the Mountain, we looked at uh, Matthew chapter number six and, uh, and, and I think the specific part I'm talking about is in chapter number seven. Jesus himself said, if you then being evil, you being imperfect parents, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would your heavenly father know how to get good, give good gifts to them that ask him. In James, it says that God gives to all men liberally, that he isn't stingy with what he gives out, that in in fact, he's the opposite. He is absolutely, perfectly, and wholly generous. The problem is, oftentimes, we have a wrong view of what we've been given by God, which in turn, then causes us to be stingy with our resources toward other people. I don't know if you remember in the, uh, in the Ephesians series, we looked at forgiveness and how, uh, how we forgive is a direct result of how much we see we've been forgiven. There's a parable that Jesus speaks about this, but this is really true in every area of our life, that the, the view that we give, or, or the view that we have of what we've been given puts into perspective whether we think we have enough to give. Yeah, if you remember it, I, I, I thought about doing it again this morning, but I didn't want to get M&M's all over the floor again. But I had Emily come up here with a thing of, uh, that w- it was a big container and it had nothing in it. And I put three M&M's in and I said, okay, Emily, go and share with the congregation your M&M's. And of course, she looked at me like, you're kidding, right? Uh, and, uh, and because there were way more people in here than three, how am I supposed, to, or am I gonna cut it up? I can't share three and with all these people. But then I took like, I don't remember how many bags, way too many bags of m and and overflowed, made a mess with M&Ms and said, now can you share with the congregation? And we all said, well, now she can share because she has plenty. Well, in our Christian life, too many times, the reason that we're not forgiving, that we're not serving, that we're not giving, that we're not using our finances to bless other people, oftentimes is because we have a wrong view of what we've been given by God. One, some of the reasons that one of the reasons that grace might not uh, that might not flow out of us to other people is because we forget how much grace we've been given by God. Sometimes forgiveness doesn't flow out because we forget how much we've been forgiven by God. Sometimes our resources don't flow out to other people to bless because we forget how much God has actually blessed us with our resources. Um, we, We recognize with this, we recognize that everything we have is God's and that he didn't have to give it to us in the first place. His love, his grace, his resources, they're all his He didn't have to give them to us in the first place and yet because he did, we're motivated by his generosity and it moves us to be generous people. That is our motive and we just want to honor him for what he's entrusted us with and we want to use his resources to reflect his generous character. Now, I I want us to remember, I'm not saying that we can't have nice things, okay? Like last week, I'm not saying we can't have nice things. I'm not saying we can't save up Uh, money but what does the bible say about those types of things i mean having nice things what does jesus say Uh, he says uh, the things of this earth if we have nice things what ultimately is going to happen to them they're temporal moth and rust doth corrupt them he says they they will take uh, they will eventually uh, fade away and and burn up and they can easily be corrupted because they're temporal things they're not eternal things so i'm not saying we can't have nice things but keep it in perspective what's going to happen to those things one day they're going to be gone I'm not saying we can't save up money, but even, I think it's Solomon uh, in Ecclesiastes talks about even those people that save for future and future generations, one of these days, their children's children's children, one of them's going to be a moron and lose all of it, okay? And he says, so, I mean, as good as it is to for, uh, think ahead of time and, and provide for future generations as much as you can, even the idea of saving, you got to remember that it's only, it's only as tangible and as useful as. as the people who have it, make it, okay? So uh, I'm not saying we can't have nice things or we can't save, but think about it in perspective uh, for eternal things. Uh, Sometimes we focus too much on saving or we think too much on the nice things and the niceties of life that it actually brings about a level of service to God that is unfulfilling. That's unfulfilling because we're living a life more of receiving than we are of giving. Jesus tells us the most fulfilling thing to do with his resources is to give them away, because it is more blessed to give than to receive. We give with the motivation of God's generosity toward us. But what about the metrics of our giving? Let's look at the metrics of our giving. And uh, a, a lot of times, as I said toward the beginning of the message, when you're talking about giving, we bring up a lot of things to talk about how much amounts of giving. And uh, people use all kinds of Bible words to say, well, Pastor, are you talking about the tithe? Are you talking about the offerings? And if you're talking about the tithe, do we tithe on like the, the gross amount of our paycheck, the net pay? And people get all really nitpicky about this. But what I want us to see is that the amount isn't as important as the heart behind it. Because out of all of that, that's the, that's the metrics. When we think of metrics, we think of the amounts when God thinks of metrics, what does he think about? Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, Every more man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. What's God's metric when it comes to the generosity of his people? His metric is, did you do it cheerfully or not? Did you do it with the right heart? He wants a cheerful giver. He wants you, uh, your giving to come from the heart. That word cheerful, it comes from the root word where we get our word hilarious, uh, full of merriment. Like God wants you to be abundantly excited that you're giving away his resources. Uh, and he even says there, he says, don't do it grudgingly, don't do it reluctantly. Don't do it out of necessity. Don't do it because you feel like you have to. Do it out of a heart of Cheerfulness, of merriment, of excitement that I get to uh, steward and use God's resources to bless other people. Our giving should be done cheerfully, but then another metric of our giving would be that it's done in faith. In Romans chapter number 14, Paul talks about the fact that whatever is not of faith, it is sin. And, And if you're currently giving and it requires no faith to give that amount, zero faith, like I can absolutely budget this everything that goes out of my account, I absolutely know where it's going and it requires zero faith to give the amounts that we're giving, then we might not be giving to the metric that God has in mind. My giving should be an act of faith. God said that it is more blessed to give than to receive and I believe God and I trust God and in trusting what he has said, I will cheerfully give. I will give in faith of his word he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. He said, test him. He said, do these things. And in my faith, to trust what he has said, I will cheerfully give. Think about this plan of God to fund his mission and his work and to see people impacted with the gospel through our giving. I mean, think about it. God says in his in his economy of how this takes place, this is how he, he's done it. He's saying, I'm going to take some selfish, self-absorbed, self-defending people, and I'm going to tr- entrust them with my message, my branding, my resources to rescue the world from sin and death. <laughs> Apart from the Holy Spirit's working in our lives, that's a crazy plan. <laughs> I'm going to use selfish, self, uh, self-propagating people with my message and my branding and my resources in order that they might then use those things not for themselves, but to the further saving and footmen need fulfillment of the rest of the world. But a lot of times we get defensive of this topic and we think things like, well, well, the church just wants my money. The reason we're talking about this is the church just wants my money. God just wants my money, doesn't he? And the truth is, no, we want way more than that. <laughs> we, we want, God wants way more than just your money. He wants your time, your vision, your talents, your cash. He wants all of that. Why? Because at the heart of all of this, what is God saying? I don't just want the things you have. I want you. I want your heart. God has this huge message and calling on us to fulfill through a life of giving the gospel, giving our time, giving of our finances. And the metric of that giving is much less about the percentage. Though a percentage is a good indicator for our own hearts to see where we are in this area, and though it's a good thing to budget percentages, it's much less in God's eyes and in God's metric about the percentage, and it's much more about a cheerful heart, trusting in what he has said, that it's more blessed to give than to receive, and by faith than living a life of generosity. But... Let's talk lastly about the methods of our giving. So we we talk a lot last week and this week about why we give, what motivation we have for giving. This, this, I want to talk us now a little bit about how we give, okay? Next week's what what amount, okay? We're doing that next week. (laughs) How do we give? What are some ways that the Bible talks about how we give when we give? Now, this specific list uh, isn't original with me. I've heard several people use it. I think John Tyson was one of the first to coin this list of the way that he does it, Uh, but I've heard other preachers use it as well, but uh, that one of the first areas that, uh, or one of the first ways of how we give is we give to the local church body, okay? We give to the local church body. Galatians 6.10 says, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. In First Timothy chapter 5, Paul says, let the elders that rule be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word of doctrine. What's Paul saying? He's saying, give to the local context of your church, the people who minister, the, the church that ministers, give to that local context. Later, Paul says in the book of Romans that the, you would distribute to the necessity of the saints. He's talking to this local church. They, they would dis, distribute to the necessity of those within The local church. What do all these verses show us? That one of the places that we are to be generous is to the church of which we are part of. And listen, I'm not here to beg for money for the church, and and truthfully, I don't think God should have to beg us for what's already his. But what we learn from scripture is that we give to the church that disciples us, that visits us in the hospital, that cares for us, that encourages us. The, to the, the local context and community that we are a part of that edifies us and encourages us and prays for us and, and, uh, and, and in discussions, I think, of our small groups, the people that are a part of those that are that are helping us to grow in the admonition of the Lord. Those are the people we should be giving to that context, the Bible says. We should be giving to the local church to help give it the resources to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, to train leaders, to equip each and every one of us, and to be a help to those in need when needs arise. That's one of the first areas in which we give. We give to the local church of which we are a part of. But there's also some other areas that we give on top of that that the New Testament talks about. I think of the first one being spontaneous giving. Not just directed specifically toward the church, but spontaneous giving just in general. In Acts chapter number 4 Verses 34 and 35, it talks about there was this need among the churches and it says neither was there any among them that lacked. How? For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Needs arose in certain people's lives and the church, some of them who were well-to-do, some of them who weren't, they said, I'm going to give my all into uh, that need so that all needs that have come to our church might be met. It was a spontaneous giving. In fact, uh, we see Barnabas, one of Paul's traveling uh, companions there as they went on the missionary journeys, Barnabas was one of the ones that it specifically mentions in Acts chapter number four as selling land, selling houses, and giving it to the work of these needs, that these needs might be taken place. It's also where we find that some people named Ananias and Sapphira in, uh, in Acts chapter number five did the same thing, but not with the right heart. And we, saw, we, we see where that ended up. They both dropped dead right there because they lied to the Holy Spirit. But we see that the church in this moment, they were seeing needs arise and spontaneously said, I, th- I bet I can meet that need. And they did what they could to meet that need. Spontaneous giving is a way that we can uh, give of the resources that God has given to us, when a need arises, we just spontaneously give to it. And I've I've seen people do this. I, I loved seeing this. I, I still love seeing this. When I worked in Moses Lake, I saw it all the time at the church there, and I, I've seen it right here in Ridgepoint where a, a need arises and people just jump on board to give to it. That uh, man, someone says, "What? Well, those people look like they need new tires on their on their car." So I'm just gonna give toward it. And uh, I, those people, they they need uh, they they obviously need a way for a knife away from their kids. I'm going to offer that I give my time and watch their kids. I've seen in all of these different areas, a need arises, someone notices the need and spontaneously say, I will do what I can to help that need. The church's Keurig is broke, so I bought one new for the church. That's what happened right here, that things like that take place. And, and, you know, just not even in the community, uh, in our church community, but even outside in the In the outside world, like if you're in a coffee shop and you see someone uh, that obviously is only in there for the warmth, that they're only in the coffee shop because uh, it's a warm place to be, and you think, I wonder if that person would also like some coffee or a tea or food or something like that. You see a need somewhere in the community, and you just spontaneously give toward that need. That's spontaneous giving, and the Bible shows the early church doing this very often. It's another way in which we give, and it's so beautiful when this takes place. I've seen it, as I said, take place so many places and in our church here too, and I would, I would share the names of the people that have done those things, but I'm not because I know a lot of those things also fall under this next category of ways that we give, which is secret giving, secret giving. Matthew chapter six, verse three and four says, but when thou doest, thine, but when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. He's talking about uh, when, when you give and don't let anyone know that you've given it. Uh, he uses, Jesus used the illustration of don't even let yourself know you gave it, which we know is impossible, but he's giving uh, an example to say, do it in a way that only God can get the credit. See, that's the thing with secret giving is when something is done secretly, No one can get the credit except for God. Only God gets the glory from that. I I don't know if you've ever had something happen in your life where a card comes in the mail or uh, something shows up on your doorstep or something is left in your Bible or bag or whatever at church that something like that takes place and you have zero idea who gave it to you. It just showed up. There's no name on the letter. There's no name on anything. It's just an anonymous gift. And in those moments, you have nobody to thank except for one person. The Lord, for providing for that very need, and as I alluded to a moment ago, I, I, I love that even with secret giving, because I'm the pastor, sometimes I get I get in on the secret, and I I get to see the Lord bless in these ways where someone you know shows up and says, "Hey, pastor." Uh, those people talked about needing new tires and I want to take care of them, so tell them to go and get new tires and then tell you how much it is and then you tell me how much it is and then I'll pay for it. Don't let them know. Just let them know someone's going to pay for it. Things like that. I love being on the inside of it and honestly, it kills me sometimes inside that I can't tell people because it's such an awesome act, but I don't want to steal away the eternal blessings uh, of, uh, that Jesus talked about. Those that do it outwardly they, they have the reward, people saw them do it. Those who do it secretly, those who give secretly, they have eternal rewards for me that their heavenly father sees it and he rewards them openly. <clears throat> I, I, I love when I see this and some of us as Christians, I think just in general, it might be good if we stepped away from the social media posts about our opportunities to give and we just did it in secret. Uh, I I see this all the time. I've been guilty of it. We're like, I had this opportunity to meet a need and it goes online or it gets uh, shared in public and it might be good for some of us to just do so secretly because we realize God has given so much to us and we just want to be a blessing to someone else in a way that only he can deserve or get the glory for it because he alone deserves that glory. Secret giving. Another way that we give is through sacrificial giving. Second Corinthians chapter number eight, Paul talking about the Macedonians, he says this, for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints, or to the saints, that the Macedonians, they were giving out of their poverty, In earlier in that chapter it says out of their deep poverty. Paul said in these verses in verses three and four, that they gave beyond their own power. Like they didn't even have the resources to give and somehow because of their heart to give, they still gave it. It, it, it made zero sense. And it said he had to, uh, they had to convince him to let them give more. In verse four, it says they were begging to get involved with more giving. I, I don't think I've ever heard of a pastor saying they had that problem. Like, give us give us more more opportunities to give. Uh, and, and and it's like Paul was looking at the Macedonian saying, you have needs of your own. Like, you're poor. You What are you doing? And they said, no, please, 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 let us give more. They're begging him to be a part of this. And Paul says, so his application to the Corinthian church is, so if they can do that out of their deep poverty, then you, O Corinthian church, who is so rich in resources and faith and knowledge, can you not do it out of abundance when they've done it out of their deep poverty? Sacrificial giving. It's one of the most beautiful types of giving because it reflects the very nature and character of our Savior Jesus as he sacrificed himself for us. Now, why why is this all important? Why, Why is it important that we see the need to give we see the why behind giving and we understand the ways in which we can give. The reason it's important is because if you look at the Old Testament, you look at the Old Testament, what were all the Old Testament laws there for? To, to prepare his people, we talked a little bit about that last month in the wilderness season of Israel, but what were the laws also there for? They were to, there to help God's people become distinct, set apart, different from the rest of the world so that the rest of the nations of the world might look at his people and see his very character through them. That was the purpose of many of the Old Testament laws, and the same is true today, that God, he's making us distinct. He's sanctifying us. He's setting us apart. He's making us holy, and he wants through our lives, through the way that we live, that the world will look at us and understand God's character. So let me ask us this question. What would the world know about God's generous character through your generosity? Would they think he's stingy or would they think he's abundant in his giving? Think think about it. If we walked in this type of generosity that we see in Scripture, what if we walked in this type of generosity in our neighborhood, in our family, to our barista, to our coworkers, to our community? What would happen if we walked in this kind of generosity? I think of Exodus thirty-five and thirty-six. The people of God—they're commanded to bring offerings for the sanctuary, and they end up having to be told. You read it, Exodus thirty-five and thirty-six. They're commanded to bring offerings for the sanctuary, and I think it's in verse six of chapter thirty-six. They're told to stop bringing offerings. <laughs> they're literally told, "We have enough. Every need is supplied. Stop giving." Could you imagine? Could you imagine if if that took place in today's world? That, like, the church was so giving and so generous with the resources that they had been giving that, that literally people were like, all the needs have been met. Like, everyone's needs have been met. The gospel has gone everywhere. Everyone in your community no longer has to live on the street. All of the, like, what if every single problem that involves resources was solved because the generosity of God's people was to that level? what if? In the early church, this was actually a common occurrence, um, that all the needs were met. Caesar Hadrian, who became Caesar of Rome around 117, he was a religious man. He, he built the temple of Venus, and uh, as, as he practiced his religion, he started to be really weirded out by this quote-unquote cult called the way. We call it Christianity today. And It was growing rapidly. It was spreading across the known world. And he was so much suspect of the way that he sent a man to get to the bottom of what made these people of God distinct, what made them different. And so he sends a spy in to check us out, to check Christianity out. And his name, the spy's name was Aristides, I think is how he pronounced it. And in the letter back to Caesar, this is what that man wrote. This is what he wrote. He said, they love one another, and he who has gives to him who has not, without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their own homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. And if there, is, if there is among them any that are poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. Such, O king, is their manner of life, and verily this is a new people And there was something divine in the midst of them. Written back to Caesar. Listen, that's not a fairy tale. That actually happened. That someone saw that. The people of God marked by generosity, motivated by the grace and mercy of God with the metric being a heart of faith that is cheerful in the Lord with the method of empowering churches to do the work of raising up individuals for ministry while sacrificially giving, secretly giving all the while with a cheerful disposition, rejoicing in the moving of the gospel to the ends of the earth. That was the early church. What a testimony for them. But how far, think about it, how far have we fallen from that? Does does that characteristic at all does that characteristic at all define the American church today? And, and I'm, I'm not saying all this to just bag on the current state of the church. I'm, I'm presenting this to lay before us, what could God do through us if we caught the heart of generosity that our father had when he gave us his own son? What might happen all over this valley in this community if we lived like this, that every need we saw we stepped into, that in the church there were no needs because if we knew the need, we'd be happy to meet it. What if, what if people felt comfortable letting their needs be known in the church because they had experienced the grace of God and knew there were no perfect people because sometimes generosity is stifled by the pride of the needy. (laughs) Like I can't let anyone know that I need anything. I can't let anyone know that I'm struggling in this and that reality is in the church, you should be able to and you should do it so that the generosity of God's people towards you could be a tangible expression of God's kindness to you. What if the giving described of the people of God in the Bible was the giving of the people of God today? The things we see happening in their day can happen today. It just takes us allowing the Spirit of God to reorient our hearts, to trust God's Word when it says things like, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media and tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.